Welcome to He Saw, She Saw. If you're just joining us, I am Corey. And I am Keith. And we love movies. Just not the same ones. So, we make each other watch a movie that we love. But the other would never watch unless we were doing a podcast. And we talk about it. And it's a nice 90 degree November day. (laughs) What are we talking about this week, Corey? Well, we get to see French Kiss. A wonderful movie uh, Mm -hmm. from France. Is it though? <laughs> no, I don't think it is. <laughs> but I love Kevin Klein. He's mm-hmm. he's a favorite. Yeah. I, I love Meg Ryan. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of both of them as well. I have tried to see this once. Mm-hmm. I just didn't like the movie like mm-hmm. at all. So mm-hmm. it's been a couple or so decades. So ready to ready to try it out again. <laughs> ready to try a movie again for love. And I get to watch a movie that I've heard about in, mm-hmm. in my life, but I never watched it. Because I feel like it was a boy movie, so I maybe just didn't have time to yeah, it devote was, to that. It was very popular, but it definitely would count as a guy movie. Okay. And that is the usual suspects. Some of the actors, it's the best role they've ever done. So, <laughs> okay. all right. I don't get to watch Usual Suspects until we get French Kiss. Well, did you enjoy it a second time around? I love this movie. I think uh, Meg Ryan is wonderful, and Kevin Klein is wonderful, and I just really enjoyed it again. So totally held up. All right. Do you have a pitch for this movie? Yeah. My pitch is is, uh, dumped by her fiancé, who's on a business trip in France, an uptight teacher jumps on a plane to Paris to win him back. She bumps into a crude Frenchman who seems to be the opposite of everything she wants. But will he help her win back her fiancé? Or give her her first true French kiss. So the film starts with Kate, who's played by Meg Ryan. And uh, they're in Canada. And she's on a plane going to Paris. And she tries to jump out of the emergency exit. Fortunately, it's a flight simulator. And we just really see that she's she's even more extra than we think she is. So She has a phobia, Keith. She does have a phobia. She paid a company to help her. Um, get over her fear of flying and she got a full refund so she makes it back home and she's just explained to her fiance that no i can't go to paris and so he's just like i'm taking you to paris what's your problem and she says oh no it's not the fear of flying it's that i'm actually an american trying to get canadian citizenship and i'm not allowed to leave and if anyone's going to get caught saying a white lie it's gonna be me because when i was younger i got ticket for smoking pot one time she one time she did it. And she, she got arrested. She didn't even like it. So she's explained that to the to his family and stuff like that. And they're like, oh hey, by the way, this neighborhood house that would be perfect for you guys is on the market. Well, it's a house that she's been staring at for the last I don't know how many years. So we get in the car and, and when they're over there, her fiance, played by Timothy Hutton, named Charlie, says, I see my whole life is flashing before my eyes and I'm not even married to you yet. Not a good sign. So like Kind of recovers. He's like, no, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. And he's like, we can't even afford it anyway, which makes sense. He's a Canadian doctor. So socialized medicine, doctors make less. Meg says, it's okay. Ever since I was 18, I've been saving a little bit of money because of course she has. She's cake. So it's like 40 over $45,000. So uh, Charlie leaves for France and he does a couple of calls 
and they're really short calls. And at first they're kind of okay, but within three days on the third call, he's drunk and explains to her that I've met a goddess and I'm going to marry her. It's over and I'm sorry. Kate is just heartbroken. So she immediately jumps on that plane to Paris to win her man back. She's on the plane mid meltdown. And there's a seat next to her, and she's just hoping it's going to be someone nice. And it turns out to be this guy. He's being incredibly rude to the flight attendant, and they're speaking in French back and forth. And uh, it's Kevin Klein who's playing a guy named Luke. 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 I can't say his name. Luke. I'm just going to basically call him Luke the whole time. I know that's wrong. All right. Of course, he's sitting down next to her. And so he, within five seconds, looks at her and is like, okay, I understand what's going on here. And so he basically starts a semi fight with her just so she because she's freaking out. So he starts a semi fight with her just so they can get in the air without her freaking out to take off. And which uh, is what you do to somebody when they're having an anxiety attack. Yeah. I mean, you don't fight with them, but you get them off the subject that they're focusing on and you get them focused on something Mm -hmm. else. So Luke's the type of guy who, you know, later on, he, he steals some vodka from their airline stewardess and gets Kate talking a little bit about what's going on and he's like oh wow that's gonna work and at the end of the flight we find out that Luke has a vine the grapevine a portion of a grapevine that he's smuggling in but he's also smuggling in this obviously very supposed to be very expensive diamond necklace that's wrapped up with the vine Uh, he puts the vine in her bag because no one's gonna stop her so what happens is once they deboard the plane they're going to customs and Luke is like, I'll give you a ride to your hotel. I wish you the best in what, what you're what you're attempting to do. Problem is they get separated. The customs guy stops them. He makes the joke of, oh, you go to nothing to declare because no one's going to mess with you. And they always stop me. Kate goes off. And as Luke is going through his interview, a person in like plain touristy clothes, like kind of drops in in the interview and flashes a badge. And it's like, it's OK. And we figure out it's a police officer who knows Luke somehow. Kate is like, yeah, I'm not waiting. And she doesn't see Luke, so she gets in the cab and she goes off to her hotel. Police officer, hey, I got to give you a ride home. So it's not like he can say, oh, no, it's okay. I actually planted a stolen necklace in this other girl's bag. So I need to give her the ride. And so he just kind (laughs) of goes, okay. And it's okay because... He's already talked to her about which hotel she's at. So he's like, okay, I'm just going to have to get over there. Kate gets into the hotel she's supposed to. Goes full Karen up to the concierge. Is like, hey, I need to know which room this guy's staying in. I'm his fiance. And he's like, my job is to safeguard all of my guests. And so she's upset. And she's like, okay, she's not going to get anywhere. So she goes into the lobby and just kind of plops her stuff down. And this guy who's dressed up in what I'm guessing at the time was a nice suit. And it looks like he's on the prowl. Kind of. Lighting women's cigarettes, and he's kind of looking around. So he's clearly a hustler of some sort. He sits down, and he tries to kind of seduce Kate. They're just sitting there, and she's just facing this glass elevator. As this elevator goes down, and you immediately realize, oh, that's Charlie with this young, beautiful French woman, which makes Kate just faint. Charlie totally doesn't see her. Hustler's like, dang, all right. So he grabs Kate's stuff and starts taking off. As he's leaving the lobby, he runs into Luke, and it's just like, hey, buddy, what's up? And they're like, you know, it's clear that they're both thieves. He's like, all right, I'll see you later. Luke comes in, sees Kate unconscious, and so he's helping to wake her up. They're looking around, he's like, where's your stuff? Because he needs that bag with the vine and the necklace. And she's like, oh, someone stole it. And Luke immediately knows who stole it. They race over to this guy's, to this thief's apartment. His name is Bab. And Luke is just like, what do you do with her stuff? And he's like, oh, I gave it to this girl. And he's like, oh, that girl? 
Yeah, and then looks over at Kane and says, oh, yeah, he threw it away. They they find the bag, look in the bag, no passport, no wallet, but it's full of other stuff. He throws it at Kate, and she takes off angry. He's looking around. He's like, dude, where's the vine? This guy has just put it out on his balcony. And he's like, where's it? He doesn't know what it is. Yeah, and he's like, well, he takes it and wraps it in. Like, wait, where's the necklace? And he's like, what, what necklace? I didn't see a necklace in there. He's like, the necklace that was in here. And he was like, I must still be in her bag. And so... Luke is like, ah, because <laughs> she's gone. And so basically it's the lowest night of Kate's life. So she's having to plan herself in front of the American embassy that's closed. <laughs> and the next morning they're like, wait a second, let me get in her file. You're filing for Canadian citizenship, like actively, like right now. And she's like, yeah. And then she's like, yeah, you got to go over to Canada and see what. Sorry, you're what... their problem now. And so she goes over to the Canadian and, <laughs> and they don't, they're not going to help her because again. But they're really nice. They're really nice about it. But. <laughs> Uh, it turns out she didn't disclose her arrest over marijuana in her, time she smoked pot. In an application. And so <laughs> the Canadian's like, oh, yeah, I totally, totally understand. This is the part where you're denied. <laughs> denied. And so she's just like without a country and she's upset. So she and goes. she keeps missing the Eiffel Tower. So every time we see the Eiffel Tower, she like turns her head and she misses it. She goes back to the hotel. To, like, really find out what's going on. To harass the concierge. But before she can, we see the well-dressed thief again, who gets caught by the management, who basically put him in the office. And so Kate comes in right afterwards, and she's like just looking at the concierge, and she's just going to tell him a piece of her mind. And so Kevin Klein comes up at, at the same time, because this is the only place he, he knows to find her. And he's like helping her out. And so what we what they don't realize is right behind the concierge, the well-dressed thief has kind of like hidden behind the interrogator. And so he's like, this is it. You know, we're either taking you in or you're giving us a bigger fish. So he's like, did Luke tell you about the necklace? And so he kind of like gestures over towards Luke. Luke. Who's yelling at the concierge. Who's yelling at the concierge. <laughs> and then the concierge is like, I'm happy to tell you that Charlie is no longer a guest here. In fact, he is going to the south of France for his nuptials. Here's the hotel. Just he seems to leave. know a lot. I feel like when once you leave a hotel, the concierge shouldn't or care or know like where you're going next. That is the big thing with these movies is they're very convenient on how much yes. people know. Well, because even in Only You, they're like, oh, well, he went here. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you know that? Yeah. Jean Renault, so. the police officer, races out and Luke and Kate are already gone. Mm -hmm. And so they to go the train to this train station to go to the south of France. So they go there and Luke is like, hey, I'm going to help you. And she's like, why are you following me? You're just trying to use me. And he's like, oh, I know. I'm trying to make up for all this. And, and you always disappear. And he's like, I will. I will be with you for, for, to the end of the line. And then immediately books it. books it the other direction because he has seen the police are Jean Renault who are like looking for him. And, he, and so she's like, oh, typical. So she gets on her train. <laughs> And then this next, next sequence is my favorite part of the whole film. It, it is ridiculous where basically it's like a hide-and-go-seat game or a game of tag. In the train station. At the very end, Luke makes it onto the right, train, on the right train and, and shrugs his shoulders at the police officer who's like, oh, you guy. Oh, you silly. Oh, you silly guy. Which is like, I'm like, can't they just, I mean, I know it's before but internet. But John Renault owes him one. Because he saved his life once. Yeah. So that's why he's so lenient with him. Yeah. So he's on the train. So they're on the train. And he doesn't believe he's really a thief. He thinks he could be, but he could do better. Yeah. 
Yeah, he thinks he, it's clear he thinks he's a good guy. Yeah. So they're on the train and we have more bickering. And then Luke is trying to get into her purse to look for the necklace. But her head is on it. She like is still asleep and it's like, oh, Charlie. And then just plants a huge kiss on him. Oops. And I'm just like, I found that just completely unbelievable. Because he's a tickly mustache. Yeah. So I just, I think. And 10 o'clock shadow. Yeah, which I mean, <laughs> Timothy Hutton looks like he's about. Five days after puberty in this movie. So it's mm-hmm. like you would not confuse those two. Faces. In the morning, Kate is in the dining car and she's like, oh, this is just so beautiful. And she's just different. And she's like and she's trying all these cheeses. And she says, this is great. She hasn't had it in years. So Luke is like, oh, yeah, this is <laughs> ugly. You know, it's too small for me. And he's, da, da, da. he's like, yeah, I grew up in a place like this. And she's like, how could you leave? And anyway, so Kate's being Kate. She's like, poor you. Luke is being Luke. <laughs> you grew up here. The reason why she hasn't had that type of cheese is that she's lactose intolerant. And she never thought that getting these <laughs> smorgasbord of unregulated cheese in France <laughs> might cause some issues. So she's having huge. We don't know exactly. Spasm. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> What end it's coming out, but it's clear she's not doing well, and she's and she can't take the train because her stomach is so Stop queasy. Stop the rocking! And so, the next the next stop. I just ate that cow. Yeah, the next stop they get off because, and you know, and we just she's see after the thing with the rocking. Like the next scene is they're like in a train station, and Luke is waiting patiently outside a bathroom, and she like she's super sick. Yeah. And so we got a few hours for the next train. So she's like, okay, I got to walk. I'm going to die. Yeah. It just so happens that this stop is the city <laughs> that Luke is from. His small town. Out of nowhere, his his brother shows up looking much more well-to-do than Luke is and yells at him. And they start fighting because... <laughs> they punch each other out. Yeah, they punch each other out. And he's like, what? It's my brother. And he's like, what, what was happening? And so we find out later that Luke had gambled away his portion of the family fortune to his brother. And Luke had also slept with his wife. Mm-hmm. And so like they're both kind of angry <laughs> at each other. And So he lost his portion of the vineyard. Yeah, so he lost the portion of the family fortune, which we find out in just a second is a vineyard. Yeah. And so what happens is, is and he's that, like, oh, there's nothing between me and my family. Yeah, like they hate me. And then like as soon as he's seen, <laughs> like this guy, old man is like, oh, Luke. <laughs> and she's like, who's that? And he's like, oh, my dad. <laughs> My papa, and every it's like the prodigal son is returned, and there's music out of nowhere, and there's like cheese and wine, and you know everyone's like totally taken by Kate, and he's like, no, just a friend. In the midst of this, Luke finally gets through the purse, and the necklace isn't there, so he's just despondent because he's like, okay, crap, I've so I've at least got the vine. The vine will be enough because we see next door there is a. A, a vineyard that was abandoned yeah that's fallow he had a plan to buy the vineyard and he doesn't mention the necklace and she's like oh that's too bad he's like ah yeah i'll figure something out and so they get back on the train <laughs> and as they're doing that she says something smart like ah, i hope you figure that out and like unbuttons her top button and there's the diamond necklace around her neck then so they're like okay everything's back on so we get to the hotel they get a room using luke's brother's credit card which he obviously <laughs> lifted at some point and uh, and while they're <laughs> kind of setting that up kate thinks she sees charlie and so she kind of looks over and gets closer we see that it is charlie and it is his his fiance new fiance and it is her parents and so she keeps getting closer and closer and has some ridiculous bits to get closer and closer and closer 
and doesn't realize that there's a, a dessert cart behind her and she flips it over. And so everyone's like, what's going on? It's very mannequin. And so <laughs> she immediately on all fours is like speeding as quick as she can. And she's covered in like And Charlie is like, I think I just saw Kate. And so she <laughs> races after him, which of course makes the fiance mad. Anyway, so she gets away. And Luke is like thought we were trying to impress him. <laughs> yeah. At this point, Kate is much less repressed. She's warming up as a person. Okay, so what's the plan? Ah, what do I do? And he's like, well, you just got to act like you, we're going to show him that you're confident. And we're going to show him that you don't care about it anymore. And she's like, okay. So the next day, Charlie and his fiance are on the beach. And Kate just strolls on by. In a Smee costume. Does the Karen march. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Hi. I need Charlie. Oh, how are you doing? And acts like it's no big deal. Totally gives complete backhand compliments to both Charlie and his fiance. Luke is part of it too. So as she's like talking and it's like really establishing like, oh yeah, whatever. And I took up with this guy. Yeah. Luke comes over as like a dumb Frenchman and, and Charlie is like, what? And he's like, well, what, what does he do? And she's like, oh, besides with me? I don't know. And just so it's like, and I don't care. totally flips Charlie out. And so they're like, oh, we should do dinner. And she's like, yeah, I guess we'll do dinner. Yeah, whatever. And then they, she strolls off with Luke. And she is just ecstatic once they're out of earshot. And, <laughs> and she tries to high five him. And he looks at her and he goes, hi. <laughs> and so Luke is like, okay, yeah, this is going good. Let me go get us some ice cream. So there's a, an ice cream cart in the distance. And so she sits down on a bench. The police officer, Jean Renault, Jean Renault. is at the bench as well. And so he tells... Kate, look, he's a thief. There's a necklace. I owe him one. Mm -hmm. So if that were to anonymously show up for me tomorrow, <laughs> there won't be any charges. And if there isn't, he is going to jail. And then he, poof, he's gone. And so, of course, conveniently, Luke comes back and is like, oh, hey, I'm going to show you where I'm going to sell the, the necklace at. And so there's a Cartier's kind of catty corner. And Kate is like, you know, why don't I go sell it because it's going to be kind of weird for you to sell it. Oh, yeah. That's he's like, oh, yeah. American chick? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, sure. But this would be great. So they are back in the hotel room. And at this point, there's really some chemistry. I mean, there's always been a little bit of chemistry, but now there's really starting to get some heavy chemistry between mm -hmm. Luke and Kate. And so he's like, okay, so this is what you're going to do. So you're going to say no when you mean yes and yes when you mean no. And, you know, you're going to. That's what French girls do. That's what French girls do. You're going to go through the business painstakingly of breaking up and who gets what, but you're just going to be there, this confident, amazing woman, and it's going to drive him crazy. He's going to ask to dance with you. And she's like, well, when do I tell him how I really feel? And it's like, you'll know when you're dancing. You know, you'll know. And it'll be too much for him. And just to make sure, I'll make sure that the, I'll make sure that the fiance is occupied. So it'll, it'll work you know, out. Because all French girls cheat, so. Yeah. So it goes exactly to plan, just to a T. Kate looks beautiful. Timothy wants to jump across the table and kiss her so badly through the scene. And she's like, just like, oh, what about CDs? Ah, you should just give those to me. And like, you know, she's yeah, like, why don't we chop the couch? Why don't we just middle? use a chainsaw and just saw that down the middle? What do you think? And, <laughs> and he's just like, he's going crazy. And they get on the dance floor and he's, he's just like, ah, oh, this is crazy. The Kate light has been turned on. So as this is going on, Luke is talking with the fiance and the fiance is already upset. He has, Charlie hasn't even cheated yet. And the fiance is like, this would never happen to me if I was young. We go back to the two hotel rooms. Kate is getting everything she wants. Charlie is dying for her. Things are getting hot and heavy. He says something along the lines of, I want you. And she's like, but I'm the same girl I was two days ago. It's still me. 
yeah, you want me in this moment, but two days ago you were in love with another girl. I don't want this. She just leaves. And so we go over to the other hotel room. Luke is getting it on with a French fiance. Juliette. Juliette. And he says... Kate. That's a bowl of cold water when you say the wrong name. So the next morning, they're both acting happy and they're both acting like they did. It went exactly to plan. And so like, okay, let's go to Cartier's. Let's get the money. Kate has to fly back with Charlie and Luke needs to start his vineyard. So they go to Cartier's. Kate goes in with the necklace, but she doesn't sell it to Cartier's. She gives it to Jean Renault, who's the police officer. And what she's done is she's pulled out the money out of that, that nest egg we learned about at the beginning <laughs> of the movie to give to Luke. You must really like him. Yeah. And so $45,000. Jean Renault is like, why are you doing this? And she's just like, I'm just going to do it. And so. So what they what she does is she uh, gives Cartier the money and they make a check. So it looks like she sold the necklace. Yeah. And so they go. So she goes back out to, to Luke. He's like, well, how much did you get? And she said, oh, this much money. And it is like less than half. So well, there was some flaws. Yeah. And so <laughs> he was expecting a lot more money and he's really upset at first, but he can't be mad at Kate. And he's like, look, you did what you could. What it's happened enough. happened. It's enough for me. To, it's going to take me a little longer than I want, but mm-hmm. thank you. I really appreciate you doing this for me. And so she says, <laughs> okay, well, I'll see you later. And so she takes off. So Luke is kind of excited. He looks out on the beach, and then he hears someone say, Charlie, and a heavy Charlie. French accent. And so he looks over, and Charlie and Juliet are fighting on the dock. And they eventually, he just, Charlie kisses her. Luke is just like everybody else. When he looks down and goes like, yeah, that's going to last. Basically, is the look he gives. <laughs> and he doesn't realize Jean Renault is right behind him. Jean Renault completely agrees with him. And is like, you know, I, I've got a love story for you. <laughs> Would you like to hear it? And Luke is like, yeah, I, I, I guess. Do they stay together in the end? And Jean Renault is like, I don't know. I was hoping you could help me out with it. <laughs> and so it. Cuts to the airplane. Kate is much more relaxed. She's looking out the window, and we don't know where she's going. She might be going to Canada. She might be going to the United States. She doesn't have a passport. Doesn't have a passport. Maybe Sean Renault helped her. And that might be it. That would probably take more time. Yeah. But it's a movie. And so. We can go home now. It's fine. Yeah, so we're just going to go home. <laughs> and so she's looking out the window kind of wistfully, and she's just like, oh, well. And. Who sits next to her but Luke? And Luke basically says that he loves her and that he wants her to stay. So, yes, we're definitely pre-9-11 here. So he's yeah. able to just board a plane. <laughs> the pl- well, it's France. It's France. So, and it's for love. So the last moment of the movie is we are taken to the vineyard and Kate is looking radiant and it's like a baby vineyard and she's obviously so in love and Luke is so in love and they have a French kiss. Blah. Well, it's in the movie. <laughs> so when it comes to the movie, when I first saw it, I didn't like it at all because Meg Ryan was playing against her type. Oh, um, was she? Yeah. Like neurotic. There's neurotic. And then there's like what she was in this movie. Like in when Harry met Sally, she's a bit neurotic, but she was always kind of like the perfect pixie girl. She's kind of adorkable, mm-hmm. like, you know, in all of her movies. In this one, like I said, she's a lot. Because she's barreling ahead. And he's like, and he's coughing. He's obviously has some issues. And, yeah. and like, you know, and he's no prince. I've been on both ends of being the one in the relationship who's head over heels over the other person. And I've been on the other side of that relationship where they were head over heels over me. So I kind of could relate to Charlie. I could understand kind of where, where 
Kate was at. And of course, we find out that it's not just Kate why that relationship wasn't going to work. Charlie obviously needs to get out there for a bit. He's not ready to be married to Kate or Juliet. And even though it's your stereotypical arc, I liked how Kate was dif- really different by the end of the movie. Well, sometimes you need life to pick you up and by the by the foot and shake you upside down to relax we, you. We had that moment where she has no money, no passport. No country. Potentially no country. No fiancé. No fiancé. No family. And she's falling asleep on the streets of Paris. like In front of the embassy. <laughs> I think that for anybody would make you go, okay, hold on, time out. Yeah. You know, and so there's a marked difference once that happened so yeah and there's you know there's definitely some comedic bits throughout that beach scene is hilarious the (laughs) not completely realistic but the scene of of the train station is hilarious from like i'll always be there for you and then takes off immediately he like continues the conversation yeah just like they got separated just like he hasn't ditched her for the past 15 minutes and so (laughs) and so i say i buy this ticket i i go with you yeah neither of us can do a french access and save our lives but i can't yeah, French. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Klein might seem kind of weird at first, but he actually did no, take. he did such a good job. He, he did. Well, he also, he took French throughout junior high and high school. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as he booked, he immediately. Brushed up. In general, he's a really good actor. So did I'm imagining it, it sounds good. No, because it, oh. was, it was Kevin Klein to me. <laughs> I mean, it was just, yeah, it was an interesting movie. So it, it was evidently the first movie that Meg Ryan produced with her company. I totally see why Meg Ryan wanted to make the movie. You know, it is a lot about a woman becoming independent, which which as a first time producer, no amnesia in this movie, which was good. I thought I had remembered that Kevin Klein's character was someone different than we thought, but I thought it was a much more 180 than him just kind of being a thief. He wasn't a thief and a bad guy because for badness sake, he just wanted his vineyard. Uh, Kind (laughs) of. I, I would say there was more of an arc to the character. Well, she changes him, too. Yeah, part, partly. He's definitely a thief at the beginning. And actually, if I could ask for more of it. More thievery? Is I would want to see more pickpocketing by him. Well, like, he does I'd, steal I'd, a car so he can I would like, ride. Yeah, not very <laughs> slickly. But um, the alarm's going off. So I, I, wanted more of, I wanted more of the train scene. I wanted more of that train station scene out of Kevin Klein's character in the first half of the he movie. just like the little caper part of it. I do, I do. I just want more capering. I do, I like capers. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, we need to say we need to see charade or what? truth about Charlie. We need to see anyway. It's caper movies. Ugh, that sounds awful. Then we're watching. <laughs> so, because it'll be decent, it'll be what decent. Have I done? So, um, so yeah. So I think it, I think it was good. I did feel it was a little long, but they they had jokes sprinkled throughout. So, what, was there anything you wanted to say about it? I just fell in love with Kevin Klein. Like I love him as a French guy. Um, mm-hmm. He was hilarious. I love mm-hmm. how he kind of is at her, but he does it to, like, help her. It was funny because she's such a dork. Like, just the way she walks around and, like, like yeah, in all her movies, she does play a neurotic kind of mess. Mm-hmm. But, like, you're right. In this movie, she's just, like, even the physicality of her, her neurotic, her neurosis was coming out, like, in her physicality of, like, how she walked and moved around. And I think that's one of the things that is great about women producing. If it's the man producing, she would be getting notes about... Be cuter, you know, can, you know, yeah. cry happy, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, Smile. yeah, do that again, but like kind of sexy, you <laughs> yeah, know, exactly. and she's the producer. So she could be like, no, no we're doing I'm producing this. Yeah. The point is, is she's not perfect. I was actually wondering about that because it was like, you could definitely see a difference. 
a female influence into this movie Mm -hmm. where again so like you know i'm which i realized it was kind of it was kind of tense in the beginning as i was talking about this movie (laughs) because again like you know i think a lot of women can probably really relate to the kate character on different levels and so i was bringing just a very male perspective to that Mm -hmm. and so you know again it's not a movie exactly for me but uh I love, I always remember, um, because I went through, like, kind of a hard breakup, like, in high school after Mm -hmm. this movie came out. And so the monologue he gives her about how after a while, like, his smell will Mm -hmm. go away. I noticed you tearing up on that. I was wondering what the story (laughs) was with him. smile, and then you'll, like, struggle to remember the way his face, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) First you would forget his chin. And his nose, and after a while, you would struggle to remember the exact color of his eyes. And one day you're going to wake up, and pff, he's gone. His voice, his smell, his face, he will have left you. And then you can begin again. Aww. Yeah, which is very. Yep. Well, I used to watch this over and over again and cry and watch it and cry. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those, it's like absolutely true and real advice that you cannot hear when you're in the middle of heartbreak. I- I watched this movie like all of those that like what this movie actually means to me like Mm -hmm. all came like like flooding back and I remembered how important this movie was actually to me the rating that I'd I'd give this is I actually am going to give this a A thumb in the middle and a thumb up Oh, so I think it's, it's one of those movies that I think is not skewed for the male audience but I think there's enough for guys to guys to get out of it. This is like a, a date night type of movie mm-hmm. where it's like, you, yeah, if she says, oh, I want to watch a movie I want to watch. And she says French Kiss. Guys, watch it. You know what I really want right now? Uh, Some onion regulated soft cheeses. Oh, wow. <laughs> Did you know the twist? of usual suspects before we watch this movie i didn't even know what anything was see i love this i thought it was a comedy that was set in paris that makes no sense whatsoever when we were trying to figure out which movies would go together i said french kiss is set in paris and it's a comedy and you made me feel like usual suspects was also a comedy set in paris Ah, okay. I see what I was doing. I knew there was a mistaken identity with like Kevin Klein. And so I was like, oh, okay. Since there's kind of like mistaken identity, some crime going on, that oh, could be the link. Okay. But yeah, no, not romantic. But you said comedy. that in your head, not out loud so to me. I, the, yes, that's true. <laughs> because I wanted to watch Usual you are Suspects. Want to do. <laughs> the thing, the reason why I ask is like the twist of this movie is like Sixth Sense. Like everyone knows the twist of this movie. Plus, we were watching Dairy Girls. Right. Uh, in, Our favorite show. Yeah, and in season two, mm-hmm. there's that episode when the, the adults are watching Usual Suspects in the movie theater, mm-hmm. and they get to, like, right to the end when they're about to reveal, and there's either a power outage or, like, a bomb that is... Because it's, it's in the middle of the troubles, you know, with Northern Ireland. And so they're, just, they, they're forced to leave the theater. I vaguely remember And that. when a movie left the theaters, it left. Like, there was no... Was like, yeah, they, they saw, Especially like, the... Yeah, if I remember right, they see it like the Sunday night or whatever the changeover night is or uh-huh. something. And so it's like they can't see. And so they're trying to figure out <laughs> who it is. And then the last scene, they reveal who it is. And then uh, and they're like, oh, that's brilliant. you know. And they don't care it's spoiled I because. I did uh, 
Frederick, when they said Kaiser Sose, I was like, oh, yeah, that name sounds familiar to me. Mm-hmm. That's probably where I knew it from. Was yeah. Kaiser Sose. Yeah. So if somehow you have missed the twist My hand is up. to usual suspects, then you got to watch the movie first. <laughs> well, apparently I'm the last to know. How did this hold up for you? It was good. I've only seen it a couple times. And actually, I think that might have only been the second time I saw it. But the first what? time, first time I was like, oh, yeah, that, that, that was so awesome. I think it's a good movie. It totally held up for me. Well, it wasn't a comedy set in Paris. So. No, it was not. Did you notice that I gave up taking notes at one point? Oh, yeah. About a quarter of the way through. Just done. <laughs> well, I didn't understand anything that was happening. You didn't have like a moment that you just threw your hands in the air. <laughs> you just like, from what I remember, you just were taking notes, taking notes. And then you were just like. And just put your notebook down <laughs> and then cuddled up next to me and watched the rest of the movie. And I was just like, it's like, all right, this is going to be an interesting episode. So it's like a slow drown in a tar pit. I actually, I don't know if uh, I told you, but I had to watch it twice. Twice? <laughs> I watched it again. That is not a good sign. Because I couldn't even do notes. I was like, I don't even. Know. So I was like, well, let me, I guess I'll watch it again. Like just for this one part. And then wow. I ended up having to watch the whole um, so my pitch for this movie, I, I was going to try to be clever like you, and also I really just didn't know how to write a pitch for this movie, so I don't know if it's going to make any sense, but here we go. A small-time con man tells the convoluted story of five criminals whose fates were all intertwined after being hauled into a police lineup because they are the usual suspect yeah that's very good thanks i spent way too much time trying to figure that out so there's kind of two ways that i could have told this story i could have told it linearly which would make more more sense but i decided to do it the way the movie does it because it's kind of like an onion and it Mm -hmm. like reveals things to you in the time that it wants to so i uh it's not linear at all I'm going to go back and forth a lot. Okay, so we start off in San Pedro, California. Dean Keaton, played by Gabriel Byrne, mm-hmm. and I love the Byrne. Yep. He's looking very wounded, and he's sitting on the floor of a place, and he's surrounded by fire. And somebody walks up to him and shoots him sideways, fake gangsta style, and then he lights the place on fire. Cut to. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of cuts in this movie. <laughs> New York, six weeks before. The usual suspects, or as I'm going to now here heretofore refer to them as the Uges. Wow. Because that makes me happy. Mm-hmm. So uh, McManus, who was played by Stephen Baldwin, and who I thought was Ben Affleck at first. I said, is that is that Ben Affleck? And you were like, no. no. Stephen Baldwin. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> who has top billing in this movie. Very I know, interesting. I don't know why. That was a bait and sweet switch. Yeah, yeah. The lost leader. Stephen mm-hmm. Baldwin is the lost leader of this movie. That's not what a lost leader means, but okay. <laughs> yeah, it's when you go to an appliance store and you were like, hey, this this Whirlpool's on sale. And they're like, oh, we don't have any more of those, but we all have these expensive ones that you could buy. That's a lost leader. Is it? I don't know. Okay. Is it called something else? I don't know. The Lemon Law. I could, yeah, okay. Stephen Baldwin. You are doing everything law. possible not to talk about this movie, and I see it. <laughs> Ben Affleck mm-hmm. is pulled out of bed, and then there's Fenster, 
who is basically a 12-year-old Benicio del Toro. Uh, so he's yanked off the street. And then we've got Hockney, played by Kevin Pollack. And then Dean Keaton is pulled from what looked like a very important pitch session for, uh, I guess, a new restaurant project he was working on. Can I just say the restaurant was a horrible idea? Oh, the, the taste the, the, change? The, and... Yeah. And I was like, that is the worst idea. What did they for... say about the walls? They said the uh, the art won't it, be on the walls? It was like, just, it was such a bad pitch for it a restaurant. It was kind of like Night at the Roxbury, where the inside of the nightclub is on the outside. And then we have Verbal, played by Kevin Spacey. So Verbal is, is kind of doing the narration throughout the movie, but we're also seeing these things too and they're all rounded up for a police lineup Mm -hmm. and um it's always funny i always think about police lineups and how they like will give them something to say sometimes Mm -hmm. and i always think well like if you're guilty you know how you said it so Mm -hmm. you would just like not say it that way Mm -hmm. right yeah if you were guilty i never have understood that either (laughs) so anyway uh, I have a lot to say about police procedure and such because, you know, wow. I am a true crime buff. Yeah, we're, we're both such experts. Uh, excuse me. I watch Forensic Files ever since I was like in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. So they're in the lineup. Mm-hmm. And I was funny because I wondered if the actors were breaking during the scene because they're like laughing a lot and they look like they're having a lot of fun. And I found out later that, yes, they couldn't get through it without laughing. And then they even actually got yelled at by Singer. He scolded them at lunchtime. Who's the director? Who's the director, sorry. But they still couldn't, like, do it. So I guess he just gave up and cut together the footage to make it look like, oh, well, they're bonding. The guys are just completely not taking the lineup seriously. And they're doing all these weird voices for it. And it's clearly like they're just screwing around. And they're laughing. And the issue was, evidently, Benicio Del Toro could not stop farting and so they're trying to do this serious scene and he just kept farting and there was nothing he could do and in editing singer was like well you got to roll mm-hmm. let's get it out let's have, let's not have it be wasted mm-hmm. and then he did get this push it out yeah there you go so uh apparently there was this truck that was hijacked in queens but none of them were involved and the cops are just like grasping at straws but as verbal says you don't put guys like that in a room together who knows what could happen so they're all sitting sitting around in the clink and at this point i was like god there is so much talking is this based on a play so much talking i think that's Mm -hmm. what i stopped writing so in this scene we learn that keaton has gone straight and he's dating this big time criminal lawyer who they say could get dillinger off and since they're all there together mcmanus figures they should talk about a job but uh keaton keaton is like i don't want to have anything to do with this i didn't want to hear about you talking about it because he like really wants to go straight um and he's gonna get back to that restaurant meeting but as they say they don't have any pc so they let him go no pc which is probable cause oh look at you go. pc so back to the boat lots of body bags lined up and there's an fbi agent and his name is jack bear and he finds out that there's only two survivors, and one is in a coma at the hospital, and the other one is a quote-unquote cripple, his words, from New York. And so we pull out to see there's another dead body floating in a bathrobe nearby, and I figured that would come into play later. Mm-hmm. This I can't, I don't know if I'm getting better at this, or if I, this movie is like as clear as a... No, you're getting better at okay. this, because yeah... <laughs> So, enter customs agent David Kuyan, played by Chaz Palamenteri. Did you know this part was offered to Walken, De Niro, and Pacino? No, I didn't. <laughs> but he really, really wanted Chaz. And nice. Chaz was just, like, never available, and then he became available for, like, five days. 
Nice. He's flown all the way to L.A. to interview Verbal Kent, who is our narrator, played by Spacey. But Sergeant Rabin, played by Dan Hedaya, both were in Night at the Roxbury. Nice. <laughs> Um, so he's reluctant to have him interviewed. We learn that Verbal uh, has complete immunity and is protected by the Prince of Darkness himself from on high. And he won't talk. He's paranoid about being recorded. And so Kuyan suggests, well, we'll just have a nice little chat in your office. Because he wants to know why 27 men were killed over a $91 million dope deal. And there's no dope. It doesn't exist. And he also wants to make sure that Dean Keaton is Cut to the hospital. Agent Bear shows up at the hospital. He's still smoking a cigar. And I was like, oh, 1994. <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember we, my friends and I used to go to Denny's. And my friends smoked and I didn't smoke. But my friends were cool, so they smoked. And mm-hmm. I remember we would go to Denny's. And we would sit in the smoking section. And all my friends would smoke. And I had a friend who would do a one cigarette joke. So he would tell a story and it lasted for a full cigarette. Coffee houses were, were real big right mm-hmm. about then. And I would go to, I go to Soho and Zanzibar. And uh, <laughs> you could, wow. I remember when you couldn't smoke anymore. It was mm-hmm. kind of funny. Anyway. You were like, yeah, Denny's? I'm like, a theater kid went to Denny's? <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so shocked. <laughs> Anyway, we meet Agent Coulson from the Marvel movies. Clark Gregg. Sorry. He's in the Hydra show too, right? The- yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, basically. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to take Cause it. Because the, da- <laughs> the dad from the Babysitter's Club is not him. That's another guy. Correct. Yeah, so Clark He's Gregg. He's not in the Hydra show. And he also wrote What Lies Beneath. He wrote it? He wrote it. Have you seen that movie? I have. Did you like it? I did. Darn it. Okay. <laughs> but son of Cole, Clark son Gregg. Of, son of Cole. Um, so he's the doctor, and they have a very burned man who mm-hmm. is speaking not English. But the one thing that he keeps saying that's very clear to uh, Agent Bear is, Kaiser Fushi! Uh, that is in, in no way what it sounds like, but <laughs> sure. <laughs> so that gets Agent Bear's attention. It so. does. He's like, what? And he's like on the phone, and he's like, shut up, I'm on the phone. And this poor guy's like burnt like to a crisp. So back to Sergeant Raymond's office. Verbal is studying what I call is the fire hazard on mm-hmm. the wall. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny that on the second watch, I noticed he has a couch. Mm-hmm. The couch is covered in stacks and stacks of like file folders. Mm-hmm. And I also noticed on the second watch that at this point, Verbal is actually like studying the wall very intently. Kuyan uh, comes in and he thinks uh, they wired up Kuyan. So Kuyan uh, thinks Verbal knows more than he's saying, and we learn at this point that Dean Keaton was actually a corrupt cop once upon a time, and Verbal really looks up to him. Kuyan tells him that he he keeps he says this a bunch of times, which is so foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's smarter than him, and he's gonna find out what he wants to know. But Verbal keeps insisting that he's not a rat. Cut two after the lineup back mm-hmm. six months earlier. Keaton realizes that... Or weeks. What did I say? Six months. Yeah, that's whatever, okay. it doesn't matter. Keaton realizes... <laughs> he realizes he's never going to be able to go straight. The cops just, like, totally ruined this meeting for him. So the Yuzhas uh, work up a plan. They need five men for this plan so no one gets killed. And they have to convince Keaton to join. And Verbal shows up at his house and he pleads with him because the others aren't going to take him along if Keaton isn't part of the deal. Because... Keaton and him know each other from other lineups. <laughs> Evidently, <laughs> like, or something. It's just a thing we do. <laughs> mm-hmm. So 
Uh, basically, there's this ring of corrupt cops. They run a racket called New York's Finest Taxi Service that, for a price, gives criminals a ride and a police escort in between their smuggling jobs or what have you. And I guess internal affairs had, had been waiting to catch them in the act, and they kind of had stopped doing it, but they were going to come out for this one job. So there's this jewel smuggler, and he was moving um, emeralds. And did you know that those emeralds were actually real? No, I They didn't. borrowed them for the movie. Wow. Anyway, they looked like plastic to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the Yuja's intercept and sell... I was about to say, I feel better about Goonies now. That, like, if those were real, yeah. then yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's what they really look like. Well, that's like uncut natural form, mm. I guess. The Yuja's were, will intercept and sell the gems through a fence named Redfoot in California. And it was an FU to the NYPD from the five of them. And they also take the bribe money, and they also take one of the officer's badges. And on top of that, Keaton makes an anonymous call, and 50 crooked cops get taken down. And McManus has to take the loot to Redfoot in California. So they all decide to go with him so that they can lay low for a while. Well, and they don't trust him. So at the hospital, back at the hospital, everyone is freaking out because the guy, who turns out he's speaking Hungarian, he keeps saying Kaiser Soze was the one killing everyone on the boat. And so they get an interpreter and a sketch artist in there. Back to Sergeant Rabin's office. And Kuyan tells Verbal, Keaton is not a great guy. And he's probably using verbal because he's stupid and he's not so sure he died on the boat either and maybe verbal is helping him get away with it because apparently he faked his own death before and he was like able to get out of a murder rap in some way that's really convoluted and complicated and i'm not gonna go into it because i didn't understand it and i literally watched the scene like four times so verbal tells kuyan that the person behind the boat fiasco was actually a lawyer named kobayashi who was played by pete Postlethwaite. he's doing some sort of this weird accent which i couldn't tell like was it supposed to be asian was it supposed to be middle eastern because he's clearly a white english guy and they even call him a limey for some reason i was thinking like from India or like Pakistani or something. Anyway, so the Yuja's do the swap with Redfoot and he asks them if they're interested in more jobs. And McManus snags Keaton until he agrees to do it, but it apparently is a setup and they end up killing this guy named Saul Berg and his bodyguards for a very small bag of white powder. And so they're like, Who's, who set up this job? And Redfoot was like, oh, well, you know, I got the job from some limey lawyer. So that's what they call him, limey. Oh, okay. Named Kobayashi, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yep. Who wants to meet with them? Not at all. I did like when uh, Redfoot uh, flicked a lit cigarette at McManus, his eyeball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought, I think that was a mistake because the reaction was so ridiculous. And yes, he was actually supposed to flick it at his chest. but uh, So the reaction was really Baldwin getting hot fire flicked into his eye. <laughs> Enter Kobayashi, who claims to work for Kaiser Sose. And mm-hmm. each one of them, of the five, has unwittingly stolen from Sose including Hockney, who apparently hijacked that truck in Queens, you know, the one from the whole beginning that started this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And they all look at him and he's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So Soze is underground and uses underlings that don't know who they're working for. And the only reason that these five are still alive is because they didn't know that they were stealing from Soze. So they owe him now. And all of them have to do a very dangerous job and they can't refuse because Kobayashi has like complete files on all of them with pictures and he knows who their family members are and yada, yada, yada. 
he leaves them a briefcase full of all this info and i was like god you know criminals in movies they just leave briefcases around like disposable plastic bags <laughs> i was like that's probably like an 80 dollar briefcase at least and he's just like let i mean did they go to goodwill to pick up extra briefcases like i don't think you've ever gone to goodwill to look at briefcases i have so. gone to goodwill to look at briefcases i had to get briefcases they're for not that good glengarry glenn ross when i was the props mistress Nice. And we had to fix them up, but we got briefcases from Goodwill. Notice the fix you up part. Uh-huh. Anyway, I also got to shellac some rice. That was fun. Anything but to talk about this movie. <laughs> Did I tell you when I was a prop mistress? For, I was in Denny's, not smoking in the smoking <laughs> section. And there was rice that had to be shellacked. Where was I? Briefcases. Briefcases, okay. yes. So, also, he, they have the murder of Saul Berg. They know that they did. So, we learned that Kobayashi was the one who set up the lineup and that he was actually supposed to talk to them all then when they were stuck in the clank. But Keaton's girlfriend got them out a little too quickly. So, they need to stop an Argentinian cocaine deal and destroy the cocaine. And if they, you know, they can do it at any time and they can keep any money that they find. And then, that, then the file would go away. And then their files will go away. As if someone with that information would ever not have that, that over away. your head. Yeah. I'll burn it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Kaiser Sose is said to be an urban legend. He once was a small-time drug runner. And when some Hungarian mobsters kidnapped his family to force him to give up his territory, he shoots his family himself instead. And then he goes after the mobsters and he kills them and he kills their families and he kills their friends and he kills people that looked at them so after that he went underground and he started using people who don't know who they are really working for Mm -hmm. and i found out that he based kaiser soze off of john list Mm -hmm. i I am like a john list like john list was this guy in the 50s who he was in, heading into financial trouble. He was also kind of a religious kook. And his daughter was starting to get interested in boys. So he murdered his whole family and he laid them all out and he took off and he went and completely got a new life for like 20 years. And it was like the first season of America's Most Wanted. They feature John List and they do this age progression thing where they make like a sculpture of him. And it's so crazy because they like... They were like, oh, he probably would wear these glasses. And so he got caught, like, immediately. And he was wearing the exact glasses that they thought that he would wear. Mm -hmm. And I also found out that Conan O'Brien went to his trial and Mm -hmm. sat in the the audience. Is that crazy? Yeah, it is. So John List is one of my – and then also, of course, it was featured on Forensic Files. And so that's always, like – I think, I don't know if it was like the first forensic files I ever saw. Like, I've been watching forensic files since I was like in sixth grade or something. Like, mm-hmm. that's just what you have on in the background. <laughs> but anyway, John List is not a Kaiser Sose in any shape or form. As Verbal is setting up the, the legend, he talks about how you don't need to be the most powerful person. You just have to be willing to do mm-hmm. what others aren't willing to do. Like murder your whole and like murder your own family because the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist would you like to perform your favorite line of the whole movie verbal says something along the lines of keaton didn't believe in god but he was afraid of him i believe in god and the only thing that scares me is kaiser sose doesn't make any sense it's such a great line the way i took it was that 
Keaton doesn't believe in God, but he's like, but if there is a God, I'm in trouble. So to try to act like how big Kaiser Sose was, Verbal is saying, like, like, look, I believe in God. I believe in all that stuff. But the only thing that scares me is Kaiser Sose. Yeah, I knew he was equating Kaiser Sose to like. Like the devil or, yeah. But I was like, this is a person. I don't know. So, anyway, Kuyan wants uh, Verbal to turn state's evidence, if this is in fact the story. And they'll protect him from Kaiser Sose. But Verbal's like, I I don't think Kaiser Sose is stupid enough to stick his head out when he's this close to being caught. And if he comes up for anything, it's going to be to get rid of him. And then no one's ever going to hear from him again. So Fenster tries to run at this point, and he gets murdered. So the guys all think Kobayashi is full of it. And so they try to kill him. They come up with this plot to try to kill him. But not before he threatens Keaton, because in the same moment he's hired his girlfriend, the lawyer, the criminal lawyer, to help with an extradition. Oh yeah, she's right upstairs right now. You wanna you wanna come see? And then they're like, crap. So that night, things go south on the boat. There is no dope, and someone is going around killing the Yuges mm-hmm. and a prisoner locked in a room on the ship. And the only one who survives this whole thing is verbal. So it turns out that the extradition okay, so this part of the movie <laughs> I to mm-hmm. watch like four times. Okay, apparently this is how this works. So the extradition that Keaton's girlfriend was was representing was this guy named Marquez, and he's an he's the Argentinian smuggler. He could ID Soze, so he was going to trade that to escape prosecution. But what happened was he was he was the prisoner in the bathrobe, the guy floating in the first scene, and so the Argentinians were going to sell him to Soze's Hungarian rivals. So Kuyan believes that Keaton is Soze, and this whole thing was a setup as a hit on Marquez. And so that Keaton couldn't be identified and then he could fake his own death again. Again. The plan was was for Keaton and Kent to go both go in on the boat like the very last essentially. But Keaton stops him and says, Don't go. I need you to I protect. need you to protect my girlfriend. Right. The way that they've set up verbal this whole time is he's got this really bad limp. He's got a he's got cerebral palsy. Yeah, he's I would in no shape to go on a boat. Well, and you're not going to give him a gun, right. like you know, well, it's he like he can't even shoot one. Yeah, I he mean, can't even like smoke a cigarette. So Kuyan continues to berate verbal and tells him Keaton used him because he's stupid and he's a cripple. And verbal finally realizes that it probably was all Keaton, especially when he hears that Keaton's girlfriend was murdered as well. But he keeps refusing to testify because he's not a rat. It's because he knows that he's dead. And if the police were the ones who got him into this in the first place with the lineup, he in no way believes they're going to be able to protect him. So he's going to go on the run for himself. So his bail was posted 20 minutes ago. So he leaves. And in the meantime, the police sketch of Kaiser Soze is faxed to the police station. They're done, and they're like, oh, okay, well, we didn't get him, but or whatever. So Kuyan is uh, drinking his coffee. He sits down at Sergeant Raven's desk, looking around the fire hazard of an office. Sergeant Raven literally says, you got to stand back from it, and it all makes sense, which I didn't catch until the second viewing. And so he's looking at the wall, and all of a sudden he starts freaking out. And we start to realize that Verbal has made up this whole story, and he has pieced all of it together with bits of information and names and pictures and all the things that are posted on the wall, including the ceramic Kobayashi coffee mug that Kuyan is holding. I love that scene because he drops the cup. He flips over and he looks down, and Kobayashi is the name of the company that made the cup. So we see Verbal, and he's coming down the street, and all of a sudden... His arm straightens out, and his limp goes away. He gets into a car with Kobayashi, 
and we get this voiceover monologue uh, about the greatest trick the devil pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist and that yeah, you're never going to hear from Kaiser Sose again. And then also Kuyan, as he's looking at all this stuff, we're hearing the playback monologue of like everything that the barbershop had said. Barbershop quartet from Skogi, Illinois. Yeah. And, yeah. Yes. and then poof, and he'll then, be gone. And he was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a sucker for physicality. Just like the physicality change was just like. <gasps> yeah, it was really good. And I was really proud of myself because I guessed what happened. like a second before it was revealed one of the things that i thought was great that it looked weird at the time but i just didn't think about it was the way he was smoking his cigarettes yeah and then it was like did you notice he still smoked and then and then at the end he smoked it the same way again that way Mm -hmm. and i was like oh i bet you that that's the way that people in that area of the world like hungry or is he from turkey originally well kaiser Kaiser sose is supposed to be from turkey yeah so i'm wondering if that's how turkish people smoke their cigarettes normally so Mm -hmm. you know because it's such a distinct way to hold it because he's kaiser sose yeah and it's just like oh my gosh when you see him as kaiser smoking like that and then you think back to the earlier scenes you're like oh my gosh there were so many clues i must have missed Uh so Finster was my favorite character. Can't understand a word he was saying. I know, and I it was funny because at first I was like, "Why would they do that?" And then I realized everything that he had to say. There was nothing that he had to say that was important. I loved it. I loved how. <laughs> at first I was confused, but then I was just like, "Oh my god, he's my favorite." I mm-hmm. loved how he talked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just so funny to me. And yeah, Benicio del Toro. He didn't want to do the role at first, and then uh, he found he realized that the only purpose of Fenster was so that Soze would kill him and show that he's super powerful. And so then he realized, well, that's my only purpose. It doesn't matter what I have to say. And so he, like, worked with a dialogue coach and came up with this, like, garbled way of speaking. Mm-hmm. And so, and then, then also the fact that he looks 12 years old. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. And he just kind of seems confused all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this was written so that you would see new things every time that you watch it and apparently it was a real hard sell because of all the because of the non-linear storytelling and because Mm -hmm. it was so dialogue heavy i would have to agree it was quite a load the first viewing but Mm -hmm. since i had to watch it again i did notice things that i hadn't caught the first time kuyan keeps driving home that he's stupid and Mm -hmm. it's like oh my god no he's not he's the smartest one in this whole movie and the whole thing when Raven says you have to stand back and it all makes sense because literally that's what he does. He stands back and looks at it and it all comes together. I felt like the editing was with the with the voiceover at the end was a bit heavy handed, but it had to be. <laughs> I also found out that filming was shut down for two days because Spacey allegedly made unwanted sexual advances to a younger actor Oops. all the way back in 1980. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, and, and Singer himself has had a lot of issues with mm. that surrounding that too, which is really sad to hear Mm -hmm. if we weren't doing a podcast about this i would have stopped it about five minutes in (laughs) yeah i was about to say i I can see from here your note says 30 and i'm like no you wouldn't have like let alone watch it four times yeah as i was watching this i had one rating in mind and then the twist happened that i had another rating in mind i was like truly blown away like and then when i watched it a second time because I was so lost i can now appreciate better like what it was going for the thing that really blew me away was just like none of we have no idea how much of any of that was true yes and like well, the fact that like kobayashi because he called him his name wasn't kobayashi so because he called him kobayashi was that what kuyan was picturing as we're as we're listening to the story mm-hmm. are we seeing what kuyan is picturing is what i was wondering yeah is that why he had that weird accent 
Yeah, and a lot of it you just don't know. And it just it really gave me an appreciation for police work. As a police officer or as a detective, you just don't know anything. Yeah. And you're like, just beholden. None of that story could have been true. Yeah, none of it could be true. Mm-hmm. And it just like and not that not the police officers are, or detectives are perfect, but it was just like, oh, what an incredibly tough job it must be to be a police officer or detective mm-hmm. because you are just you're trying your best to piece things together. And everyone's lying three different ways to Sunday. Some people are like, oh my gosh, you know, the police solve such a small amount of the crime that they've become aware of. But on the other hand, I'm like, how do they solve any at all? Mm-hmm. Just seems impossible. You should read the homicide book. Which homicide book? The homicide book you bought me for Christmas last year. You're going to need to be more specific. Every holiday, there's like three to five. You know, I just want I just want this one true crime novel. Just, just this one. <laughs> The one Dave Simon who wrote the who writes the Wire, he uh, followed Baltimore police detectives around for a year. Well, shout out to all legit cops and detectives. The work mm-hmm. you're doing, it's just it's brilliant and impossible. And thank you for doing it. So, and if I was smart enough, I would be a forensics detective. Yes, but you I would be. Did not do well with math and science and <laughs> which is the forensic <laughs> scientist part of this whole thing i'd also be an amazing astronaut if not for the astrophysics or the strong stomach the teacups <laughs> make me sick so when this uh we are all of us in the family are fully vaccinated hopefully so a couple weeks we are gonna go to disneyland and i said your dad is the spinning teacups parent whenever i get asked to do something that's outside of my want i say well your father is the outdoor parent (laughs) (laughs) i'm the indoor parent yes so i'm not sure where this rating is gonna go oh yeah i have to rate this so hard because as we were watching it i was like two thumbs down Mm -hmm. i don't understand what's going on i hate everyone there's too much talking Mm -hmm. um but then like the twist came and Mm -hmm. i was i was very impressed and blown away so a thumb went up nice but then I watched it again, and I was like, oh, okay, I see now. But the mm-hmm. thing is, though, is like if I hadn't been forced to watch this, I would have turned it off. So I'm going to have to say, honestly, mm-hmm. factoring all of those factors, factorally, I would say one thumb is going to be up because mm-hmm. of the twist and because of the, okay, I get it. But one thumb is down. Too much dialogue. Too much, like, convoluted, like, What? I had to like watch some scenes like four times in a row and I didn't even want to watch it once. So I would say uh, one thumb down, one thumb up. That sounds fair to me. All right. So did you get the thing about how like when we did the French Kiss movie a couple of times, I was like, oh, yeah. And then he's gone. Oh. So I was like, oh, as we were doing that. I was like, oh, nice. It's a connection between French Kiss and uh-huh. Usual Suspects. Don't seem thrilled about that. Details bagging. What? Kaiser Sushi. <laughs> Why are you rubbing your head right now? Oh, nothing. (laughs) I'm fine. I love how there's connections sometimes between movies and we don't realize it until we watch it. Mm -hmm. So I liked how like in both of these movies, it was about like people disappearing. Mm -hmm. Like, and so when we were doing the French Kiss episode, Uh I was really excited because I was like, oh, it's like that where like they disappear. And then I was like, I'm like, oh, that's going to work totally well with Usual Suspects. And I kept really quiet. And then you didn't notice that at all when we did the (laughs) Usual Suspects review. But that's okay. You're lucky that I noticed anything. (laughs) I know. That was just, I I was, I was happy. I'm a bit surprised, but happy that you gave it one thumbs up. 
Well, that mm-hmm. twist was pretty darn good. It was. And I am the only person in America that didn't know about it. Yes, and Kevin Spacey <laughs> does an amazing job. And it, it's one of those just like the, the entire cast is amazing. Like even Kobayashi with his weird accent, it like just it worked for me. Yeah. So, what well, are we it's doing? Thanksgiving week. Oh, it is. So I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> When we were coming up with, like, okay, so what would be Thanksgiving movies? I'm like, I can't think of any good Thanksgiving movies. And there it was. I was excited. One of my favorite movies. I've only seen it once. <laughs> Yet still was a, a blueprint for my life for a while. What? Some way still is. And that would be Son of a Woman. hoo uh, That title alone that just made me want to throw up. But it's, but it's, oh, man. Okay, I can't wait to watch this movie with you. I love that, that movie. Am I gonna throw up? No, it's not gonna make you throw up. Right. It's and and all I know is hoo ha. It will make all I know is hoo ha. I'm not gonna spoil. I'm not gonna spoil. But the okay. title makes a lot of sense when you watch it, and it's a great guy movie coming of age. I remember watching that movie and being like, "Oh, I want to be like that guy in some ways." Al Pacino. I'm not gonna spoil it. <laughs> so then I said, "Oh, okay. Well, I'll look and see what Thanksgiving movies there are." And this is a movie we've been talking. I keep bringing it up, and, uh, uh, and, and it's funny because you're so sorry that you're making me watch that Woman now. I I'm not because I love that movie. <laughs> We're gonna watch Sudden Love, no. my favorite Polly Shore movie. <laughs> guy in it well i i am a big fan of the girl in the movie carla carla gugino oh she's amazing well thank you very much for listening to us this week and i'm sorry you're gonna have to listen about son-in-law next week but um you'll get son of a woman as well Uh so that'll make it worthwhile and uh we have a facebook page and a few people have reached out to me and said gosh i wish we could really like comment and talk about stuff that you guys talk about and so I invite you to comment and talk about stuff on our Facebook page. Yeah. So, yeah, you can do that. Um, we also have a an Instagram page. It's He Saw, She Saw. I think it's He Saw, She Saw Pod. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it's He Saw, She Saw Pod or Podcast. But one of those will work. We're on there. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, if you also, like, wherever you're listening to us, if you, especially, like, Apple, you know, if you could like like us and subscribe and like leave a rating, then mm-hmm. more people. That's really high. That's high, like like a high five. There you go. Then, um, yeah, then more people will find out about us, and mm-hmm. uh, we've got we have quite a few like listeners that listen to us every week, and we just thank you so much for listening to us. Yeah, and evidently internationally too. So it's yes. like, hey, thank you. The Hungarians, no. Bulgarians. Is it Bulgarian? Yeah. Know the Bulgarians. Bulgarians. We're really popular in Bulgaria. The British. The British so. likes it, like us. Yeah. Um, I think Japan too. I think Ukraine. What? I can't remember. Anyway, thank you. <laughs> however, you're listening to us, we appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we'll chat at you next week. Poof, we're gone. <laughs>